This sermon was recorded at the Midtown Congregation of Redeemer Fellowship, a church that exists to cultivate communities of transformed disciples who live for the glory of God and the good of the city. For more information, visit RedeemerKansasCity.org. Good morning. morning. Today's scripture is Matthew chapter 6, verses 16 through 18, which can be found on page 811 in the Pew Bibles around you. Matthew 6, beginning in verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you fast, Anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Good morning. Let's pray together. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus because of the way that he has made through his life, his death, and his resurrection. God, thank you that this morning we, we had the opportunity to practice and witness and declare again as a family the beauty of your death and resurrection and our participation in that. So God, as we come to your word this morning, I ask that you would come and speak to us. Would you make our hearts receptive and tender to your voice? Would you give us a greater understanding of who you are and what you have accomplished through the life of your son? God, I ask this morning that you would open our eyes to see and to lay hold of and to be gripped by a vision for what it means to have life in you and life abundantly. God, would you open our eyes to see wonderful and glorious things from your word this morning. That our gaze would be captivated. That our hearts would be allured. Would you instruct us and guide us? Would you give us grace this morning in the speaking and in the hearing of your word? In Jesus' name and for his glory, amen. Amen. So we're uh, making our way through the Sermon on the Mount, and I'm just going to jump right in, uh, give us a little bit of a review as to where we have been and where we find ourselves as we come to the particular grace and discipline of fasting this morning. So if you have the notes, take them out. We'll, We'll jump right in. The Sermon on the Mount, what Jesus is doing is inviting his disciples into a greater experience of life in its abundance in him. He's inviting his disciples to a whole life, to a full, complete, uh, satisfied life centered around, uh, we see at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, these eight beatitudes or virtues that he lays out and invites his followers to see as the value system of the kingdom of heaven. He puts these front and center, things like, Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those that mourn. Blessed are those that are meek or hunger and thirst for righteousness and so on and so forth. He invites us into these eight realities as defining what we see as valuable and good and whole in this life. So as he does that, we we see that the presence and the growth of these values or these virtues is the mark of our discipleship and the measure of true and lasting greatness. At the heart of the sermon is the call that Jesus gives in Matthew 5, 48, to be perfect as the Father in heaven is perfect. This is a call for wholehearted obedience. And we've talked about this week in and week out, that wholehearted obedience is simply uh, stated, I'm not holding on to any areas of known sin in my life. And it say, said positively, it's, it's saying yes 
to everything that God has invited me into. Now, that doesn't mean that I'll attain it in in sinless perfection. It doesn't mean that I will fully mature. It might be immature, but it means that I'm not holding on or being complacent about or complicit with any area of sin in my life. And Jesus invites us to pursue this life of wholeheartedness before him. In chapter six, where we find ourselves, what Jesus is doing is outlining several disciplines or practices that we are to actively pursue in order to position ourselves to experience more of his grace. These disciplines aren't means of earning God's favor. They're not ways by which we get God to like us more. We actually have all of the favor of God given freely in the person of Christ Jesus. We can't merit anything beyond that, what we've been given freely because of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. So now by faith, being joined to him, we have God's favor. We have his love, his grace, his affection toward us. However, what Jesus is inviting us to is more readily positioning our hearts to experience that which is true of us in Christ Jesus. Jesus is not, letter D, seeking to do away with the means of grace or these disciplines. Rather, he's concerned to change how we practice them, meaning we practice them before God's eyes and the why of why we practice them, which is to receive God's favor or receive his blessing. One of the dynamic realities of understanding these means in Matthew 6 is to see that they are all invitations to become voluntarily weak. Every one of these pursuits, we give up something that we generally see as a strength. And we'll come to the one today as we give up food. There is no more fundamental way that we derive strength than to uh, give up food and empty ourselves of that which brings strength and sustenance to us in order to posture ourselves more readily with weakness. So let's look here at the call to fast. The fourth practice that Jesus outlines in Matthew 6 is something we're to actively pursue in partnership with his grace is the discipline of fasting. In a similar manner to both the acts of mercy that we saw at the beginning of the chapter and prayer, Jesus is not seeking to do away with the practice of fasting from the life of a believer. Rather, he's highlighting the propensity of our hearts to find accolades in appearing a certain way before other people. So when he's saying, hey, don't walk around and look gloomy, he's saying, don't draw attention to yourself of how hungry and tired you are, right? Because if you've gone any amount of time without eating, uh, longer than a few hours, you skip a meal, you skip a couple meals, your propensity is to drag your feet and uh, get sullen in your face and tell everybody how hungry and tired you are. Jesus goes, don't do that. When you're fasting, don't don't draw attention to how hard it is. And don't put a big display uh, and promote yourself that you're doing this. Rather, go opposite of that and make sure that in that moment you, you put oil on your head. Actually make yourself not appear like you're sullen and sorrowful, but walk this out before the eyes of God and the eyes of God alone. Letter C, Jesus sees fasting as a normative part of the Christian experience. I want you to catch this. Jesus doesn't say, if you fast. Have you ever thought about that in Matthew 6? He doesn't go, hey, if you ever get around to doing this, this is how I want you to do this. He assumes that we're doing this. When you fast, do it this way. He's not assuming that this is something he's telling us to do and and we might get around to it one day. He's saying, you are going to be doing this. It's a normative part of what it means to follow me as a practice. So when you do this, I want to shape how you do this. It's a normative part of our lives before the Lord. However, I think many Christians see this as nothing more than an optional aspect of walking with Jesus, or uh, potentially haven't even ever thought about it at all. Fasting is the intentional abstaining from food for a time frame in order to position our hearts more to receive God's grace. 
So I want to I want to name this. There's value in abstaining from all sorts of things, right? We can we can abstain from social media. We can abstain from entertainment. There's there's all sorts of things that we can abstain from. But when you talk about fasting, you are talking about abstaining from food. Okay, that the the practice of fasting has to do with giving up food, and it's really important to name that because there is an actual value in what happens in our bodies when we more readily become aware of our hunger. It awakens the reality of our real longing and real hunger for spiritual things. There is a tie between these. And so I I think there's a ton of value in our lives to take seasons where we unplug from all the noise of the world, right? We we get off social media for a little bit. We, We stop watching movies or we stop watching TV or we give up alcohol for a season or something like that. There's all sorts of value in those practices. But when we talk about fasting, we're talking about abstaining from food. All right, I, w- I want to just make that really clear. This is a practice, letter E, that God gives to his people primarily for the purpose of seeing internal change and transformation as our hearts are positioned more readily to receive from his grace and our weakness. So the primary reason we pursue this in our lives before the Lord, and we'll look at this more here in a little bit, is, to, is internal reasons. There are internal realities that happen as we, as we walk after this and pursue this discipline that this is the primary reason that we do this. We don't do this primarily, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with this, but it's not primarily to try to like get something from the Lord or like ask him for something uh, to change. There's models for that in the Bible, and we'll look at that here in a second. And it's not like primarily a health thing. Right, like everybody's into the big fasting thing right now, intermittent fasting. Everybody, doctors will say it's good for you to do once a week or like, you know, doing the intermittent fasting thing. There's, there is physical benefit in it, but that's not what we're talking about here. Okay, we're not talking about physical benefit related to this. All right, look at letter F. I don't want us to miss this. This is, this is an important reality and why I make it a deal to say that fasting is actually talking about food. There is a dynamic relationship between our physical hunger and our appetites and our spiritual hunger. Just as God has placed within us a painful grace in our bodies to remind us of our need for sustenance and strength, he's put within us a similar painful grace in our souls that tells us our need for something spiritual and eternal. Have you ever thought about what what, what it would be like if hunger felt good? Have you ever thought about that? You would die, right? There's a reason it feels bad. God gave us a painful grace called physical hunger. So when I feel this, I drop everything else and I try to remedy this. It's my body saying, you need to stay alive. And you need some sustenance in order to stay alive. So stop what it is you're doing to remedy this pain, right? And in a similar way, God has put a painful grace of aching and longing in your soul that when you feel it, you're meant to go, this is telling me I need sustenance beyond things that can sustain just my body. I need God. And I am going to run after the things that will satiate or satisfy that longing and hunger. There is a relationship here. Look with me at Psalm 42. The, the, the psalmist uses thirst here, but I think we could say similar things related to hunger. As the deer pants for flowing streams, so my soul pants for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. Now, there was a song a long time ago, and I actually really love the song. I wish we sang it more. Uh, the, as the deer panteth for the water. And it's like really gentle and so- somber and slow. And like, it's really inviting. Like, oh, isn't the presence of God so beautiful? And I long for it. That's not what's going on here. He's saying, like a dying deer looking for flowing streams of water, 
That's what my soul feels like. That is not a good feeling, right? Does anybody like being thirsty? I hate being thirsty. It's one of my least favorite feelings in the world. Anytime I'm cranky, I think you guys have probably heard me say this. Anytime I am cranky or like just on edge, the first question my wife will ask me is, are you thirsty? Sometimes I'm like, oh yeah, I am. <laughs> Goes, takes right away. But I hate being thirsty, right? So let's not get like a, a bad picture of what's happening here or like a, a wrong picture. I think sometimes when we hear the idea of longing uh, related to God, what we imagine is the kind of longing that we see in like an engaged couple right? Like a longing to be close. They, there's something that stands in the way of their full consummation of the intimacy that they have together and they're longing to be close. And it's, yes, it's painful, but there's like a proximity there. This is the longing of absence and the longing of aching that we feel inside of us. That's what we're getting at here. The second verse that we see here is Psalm 63. God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek after you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. And I love this picture. As in a dry and weary land where I cannot find any water. What the psalmist is saying is, my soul longs for you, God, and there's nothing in this world that can satisfy that longing. Nothing else can satisfy it. It's like walking through a land that there's not any water. Only you can satisfy this longing. Look at the top of page two. Now here's the problem with the way that we're made and, and, and how in our sin and our weakness these things get overlapped. Many times we seek to use temporal gifts, things like food, money, entertainment, things like that, that, that can be given as gifts by God to be enjoyed uh, unto his glory. We take those gifts and uh, misuse them or attempt to make them dull the ache of our spiritual hunger. A lot of believers uh, that I, I've walked with, they don't possess a deep hunger for God precisely because we've filled ourselves at the table of the world, and we've grown dull to that longing. So if you're not aware of that longing, maybe the reason is not because God is insufficient, right? Like the table of the Lord's presence is lacking. Maybe it's that we've nibbled ourselves away on whipped cream and cookies and junk food and we feel like we're full and we don't know we're hungry, but we're actually anemic and dying. That's what happens in this world right? And I, I don't have to go very far to put that on display. We're, we're living in the season of the life of uh, our culture where like you basically are sustained by Christmas cookies. <laughs> Everywhere you go, there's a Christmas cookie, there's candy, all sorts of junk food, right? What we can do, think, think about this as an analogy, right? If you spend all of your life filling yourself with junk food, you will never feel hungry, but you will be um, dying. You're not sustained. You're not strengthened. There's not substance. In a similar manner, we can pick at all of the things of the world and dull our spiritual longing and not be satisfied. There is a real relationship there. Letter H. So in the practice of fasting, what we do is we more regularly empty ourselves out, denying our physical appetites, putting ourselves in a posture of weakness in order to become more aware of our spiritual state of poverty and weakness before the Lord. This is what is true about us. And in this place, I think what happens very consistently is it awakens longing, it awakens hungering and thirsting for greater depths in God. 
Okay, look at Roman numeral three. I want to just fly over this really fast. Give a couple biblical models for fasting and then talk about what Jesus does in the New Testament as he gives us a different model for fasting. So in, throughout the scripture, you see fasting is a really normal practice. Uh, there's, there's lots of reasons that people are uh, turned to a time of fasting before the Lord. And all of these are, are really beautiful and valuable. And then what Jesus does in the New Testament is he actually gives a brand new paradigm for fasting in the new covenant that's going to mark most of the ways that we fast before the Lord. Letter A, the first model that you see is to set our hearts to seek the Lord. So there's a particular reality, like if, if, if there's a season where you're wanting to focus or reorient your pursuit of the Lord, uh, fasting actually takes that and turns the dial up on it. What we see in Daniel chapter nine, uh, Daniel specifically turns his face to the Lord to seek him, and he does so through a season of prayer and fasting. The second thing we could do is we, we see fasting accompany seasons of repentance and confession. Joel chapter two in specific, there's the call from the prophet to the people, uh, consecrate a fast, uh, return to me with fasting, with mourning, with weeping, right? So uh, repentance and fasting can go hand, hand in hand. The third thing is we could take a season of fasting or a time of fasting to plead with God to fulfill his promises, we see this in Daniel 9 and 10. Look at Daniel 9, verse 2. Daniel says, I perceived by the, by the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass. Uh, so he's saying, I'm, I'm looking in the scripture. I see this promise from God. And in order to uh, step toward that, I don't just go, yeah, God's going to do what he's going to do. I actually leaned in to seek God to fulfill his promise. And I did so with fasting. We see letter D, greater experience and release of God's power. Uh, this is Matthew 17. Jesus, uh, after coming down from the mountain of transfiguration, they uh, come to the, the father with his son, who the disciples can't cast the demon out of him. And he says, this kind only comes out with prayer and fasting, meaning there's a, a particular uh, labor that, that they could press into before God to experience more of his grace and his power. Letter E, to receive a greater understanding of God's word and his purposes. All right, so these are several ways that we can set ourselves to fast, but I said there is a primary way, right? And this is what Jesus gives to us in Matthew chapter nine. So look at this new model. Let me just read Matthew nine for us. So the disciples of John came to Jesus saying, why do we and the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not? And Jesus says to them, can the wedding guests mourn as long as the bridegroom is with them. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them and then they will fast. So what we get in this is a, a story where John the Baptist's disciples come to Jesus and they're, they're, uh, they're a little bit perplexed, right? The, the religious leaders of the day, the Pharisees, taught the regular practice of fasting. John the Baptist continued that with with his followers that we're going to uh, live in a posture of fasting. And then Jesus comes on the scene. We see in Matthew chapter 11, eating and drinking to the point that people are like, this guy's a glutton and a drunkard. This, is, this guy's having parties with these people all the time. Why don't you teach your disciples to fast? We're over here fasting. We get the sorrowful guy and you're the happy one that's eating with tax collectors and sinners. What's going on? And Jesus gives them a new paradigm for understanding fasting. What he tells them is he says, hey, the point of fasting has to do with longing. It has to do with aching. It has to do with missing something. I'm here. If God is standing in your midst, if the bridegroom's at the party, you don't fast. You celebrate. But there'll be a day when the bridegroom, and Jesus is speaking of himself, he's taken away. Meaning, I will die, raise again, and ascend to the Father. There will be a day when the bridegroom is no longer here. And in that day, my disciples will fast. 
So Jesus gives a new paradigm for fasting that marks the people of God in the new covenant. This paradigm of fasting is driven by something different. We are not fasting to motivate God to pay attention to us or love us, but rather we're fasting as an expression of our longing for him and to position our hearts to receive the affections he already has for us. To fast with this paradigm does not move God's heart. It's not like you're trying to get his attention or something, but rather it moves ours. It decreases our dullness, our spiritual dullness, and it, it, it decreases the places in our lives where we have clouded our capacities to experience his presence with good things. So this type of fast is based on desire. It's about understanding that God's immense desire is for us and responding to that desire with a practice intended and designed to increase in our our experience of that desire. Let's go to the top of page three. We can also note here that Jesus' paradigm of fasting is marked with or tinged with an element of pain. Have you thought about that when you read this or when you heard that? He says, there will be a day when the wedding guests, because the bridegroom's taken away, they'll mourn, right? There's a, there's a longing related to this. This isn't, this isn't uh, uh, something that we do removed from experiencing the absence of Jesus with us. Right? This is about longing and mourning. There's a lack or a mourning or a longing that's to mark fasting. God gives us this as a painful grace in order that we'll not remain stagnant in spirit or complacent. So the paradigm for fasting that Jesus presents introduces to the practice of fasting the idea of longing. The idea of longing demonstrates that we experience a current lack of something and desire to be fulfilled. Now, I wonder if many times we struggle with this idea because we struggle to have a vision for the fullness of life in God, right? It's like I find in myself so often or I find in other people so often this temptation or this propensity to just kind of coast through our lives and hope that we can respond to the circumstances around us in a like moderately Christian way, right? Like a better way than we did yesterday or something like that. And we lack this overarching vision for what God has for our lives. And here's, here's what I want to like say again and again and again, because fasting again is not about trying to get God's favor or trying to get him to like us. God has saved you. And in saving you, he didn't just save you to not send you to judgment. He saved you to bring you close to him so that you could be filled with the glory of his life. That all of your being, your mind, your emotions, your desires, your passions, your zeal would be animated by the very life of God. That you would see him, that you would be drawn to him, that you would experience him and his beauty and his majesty and his glory. That's what you were made for. That's what you were saved for. And if we lose that vision why would we long for anything, right? Like, I'm doing kind of okay. Like, hoping that today is a little better than yesterday. I want all that God will give me. Every single ounce that God will give me of that reality alive in my being today, I want it. And if he's given me a means by which to put myself more regularly to receive of that, I want to take hold of it. I want to walk in it. So what I want to do with the rest of our time is just talk about Jesus lays all of these things related to the father will see and he will reward, right? And we might get a little squeamish about that, but here's all I want to say. God ultimately rewards 
these practices with himself, with more experience of himself. So I want to talk about what that might be like in our lives, what, what those rewards might be like. As with the earlier practice, Jesus contrasts two rewards that we can run after through the choices of our lives. We can either run after receiving the rewards of the eyes of people or the rewards in the eyes of God. The experience of rewards related to fasting will rarely be experienced one for one in this life. Like I've tried to say this a bunch of times as we've looked through these things. Rarely does it, it, do we experience these things as like, I fasted and then this happened. Or I prayed and then this happened. This happens in the aggregate. It happens over time. It happens incrementally. But I do want to tell you, I was uh, going back and listening to uh, a teaching that we had done on fasting a few years ago before a long extended season. And we did this panel discussion and uh, my wife, Abby, was talking about uh, our own story and our own journey related to fasting. And she said this thing that I thought was like unbelievable. She talked about fasting and regularly practicing fasting as what you see is this slow incremental rise in the water level of your hunger for God, your hunger for the word, your awareness of like the conviction of the Holy Spirit in your life. And what I've seen in my own life is the times when I am most vibrant in my soul, when I have the most joy, when I have the most hunger for God, desire for his word, longing to see his, his glory at work in our lives, they're almost all related to uh, times when I am consistently practicing this. And times when I'm not, I tend to be much more dull. It's just the way it goes. And so we don't see these like as a one for one, but we see it as this slow incremental change over time. Look at letter D. I just want to give you maybe a vision for some of these in your life. There are many rewards that I think we, we experience from the Lord as it relates to fasting. Number one, I think as we pursue this grace, as we pursue this discipline, our capacities are increased to experience and encounter God's presence in our lives. One of the beautiful realities tied to fasting is that in emptying ourselves of strength and our tendencies to dull ourselves, you know, kind of like nibble at the table of the world, uh, our capacities to experience God's life are increased. Over time, as we walk in the grace of fasting, our hearts are enlarged to experience more of God's life, God's power, God's presence. Number two, our desires are changed or our tastes are changed. I've never actually experienced this to be true um, uh, in, the, uh, in the natural, but I do hear that if you change your diet to like a healthy diet, over time, your taste will change and you'll actually ex- like, like that food better than the other food. I don't know that from personal experience. <laughs> but in a similar manner, what I do know from personal experience is as we pursue this reality, as we, as we take aside time to abstain from food and, and empty ourselves in that way and vulnerably and weakly go before the Lord, he changes our desires from worldly things to spiritual things. One of the greatest gifts of practicing fasting is that God uses this means to change our desires. Over time, our love for his word, prayer, obedience, and the things of the spirit will increase. I want to I wanna make that as a claim to you and, and go, run after that. If you're going, man, I don't love God's word. I'm, I'm kind of bored with prayer. I don't, I don't feel uh, the conviction of the Holy Spirit at work in my life. What if you took a season and began to practice, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this practice before the Lord. I'm going to say no to some other things in my life, particularly food. I'm going to come before the Lord and I'm going to ask him to work in these ways in my life and increase my spiritual hunger as I walk this out before him. 
Number three, our understanding is increased in God's word. We, 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 we're more, uh, we, we are postured to receive the revelation of God and his word in greater me- measures. As seen in the book of Daniel, there's a specific correlation between the practice of fasting and the release of revelation. Over time, God gives more revelation. And what I mean by that is just understanding that's alive to you, right? The difference between just reading something and being able to regurgitate it and reading something and it, and it clicks in your soul and it's beautiful to you and you want to walk toward that. That's revelation. That's when God opens your heart and your mind and the eyes of your soul to long for the truth of his word. We see that happen more as we walk before him in a posture of weakness and dependence. Number four, our souls are more in tune with the promptings of the spirit, the leading of the spirit, discernment of the spirit, conviction of the spirit. As we abstain from food, our souls are emptied out of the small indulgences that cloud our spiritual senses and our hearts. Let me mix metaphors for you here for just a second. I was thinking about it this way. Sometimes I think of fasting like if you are in a room and there's just all this noise, right? Like there's just noise everywhere and it's hard to pick out a whisper, right? Like one of the realities of the way that God speaks is it's oftentimes like a whisper and we got all this other stuff vying for our attentions and vying for our affections and how we look at things and we're dulling our senses and all that kind of stuff. Fasting almost in in some ways is like it turns the volume down on some of these other things. It takes those things and puts them out of the room for a minute and puts them aside and puts us in a place where it's like, God, I know you're speaking. Would you make me more receptive to hear your voice in this place? Number five, over time as we pursue this, our identity becomes more firmly rooted in knowing God's affections for us. As we practice this from a posture of longing, God utilizes this grace as a means to further root us in our identity before him. Number six, our appetites are reordered in accordance with God's desires. In the practice of fasting, we use our will which is given to us by God to make choices, right? Like we we can uh, uh, set ourselves to uh, walk something out because he has given us this faculty. We use our will to deny our appetites and our indulgences. Here's what I want you to feel when I'm talking about this one. In discipleship, we are called to come before Jesus take up our cross and follow him to die, die to ourselves, die to our desires, die to our passions, die to our longings. Fasting is actually a place where you can like lift weights with your will, so to speak, right? You deny yourself of something that you have an appetite toward, and you actually strengthen that faculty that God gave you. Write this down and go read it later. Hebrews 5, verse 14. Uh, The writer of Hebrews talks about training ourselves to discern good and evil, right? How do you train yourself in those realities? You have to practice. How do you practice exerting your will, right? Like how do you practice strengthening your will? Hey, here's a really good option. Here's a really good low hanging fruit, kind of like a couple pounds, you know, uh, dumbbells that you can just start somewhere. Number seven, our bodies, our minds, and our souls experience more of our dependence. Fasting makes us weak in our bodies. It makes us weak in our minds. Hey, I, I'll just be honest. I think the hardest thing for me when I fast is my brain. I really don't like the way that my brain works when I'm fasting. It's like things don't make sense. I can't put anything together. My body feels weak. My abilities are, are diminished. Here's, 
Here's what it gives us an opportunity and why I want to put this here, why this is a grace and something we should pursue. Psalm 121, the reality of Psalm 121, unless the Lord builds the house, the laborers labor in vain. What that's saying is you and I, for anything that matters in the world related to God, his kingdom, his economy, his glory, we can't accomplish it in our own strength. We are tempted to believe we can. Fasting actually reminds us more regularly, I can't do this, right? I put myself face to face with the utter inability that I have to bring forth the things that I most desperately want to see in the world. I can't do them anyway. And so I just put myself in that posture more readily to go, God is going to take you to show up anyway. My, my intelligence, my uh, zeal can't accomplish this anyway. You have to show up. Would you do that? Look at Roman numeral six. I'm going to give a few principles talking about practicing fasting. So fasting, like I said, is a normative practice in the life of a, a, a disciple. Although there will be situations where fasting is not possible, fasting food, you know, if there's a certain chronicle or chronicle, chronic physical condition, uh, children, if you're pregnant, nursing, it's, it's clear that Jesus expected fasting would be a regular part of his disciples. Fasting is always voluntary. Okay, so uh, if we do like a corporate fast together or we set out a rhythm of fasting, fasting is always something that's led by desire. It, there is a tension here. It's like Jesus uh, assumes that this is going to be a normative part of our lives, but there is a voluntary desire element to it. It's not required to belong in a spiritual family. It's not even required to be a child of God. I want to say that really clearly, right? Uh, Jesus's work alone is what qualifies us as children of God. Not that we fast, okay? So this is a voluntary gift that we offer up to God as we seek to pursue him. Okay, letter C. Start somewhere. If you're going like, I, I, I want to do this or this is a practice, I see that this is important, um, just start somewhere. Don't let your fear of it keep you from jumping in. Even if you think it's just a small way, you don't have to sign up and go, I'm gonna fast for seven days, right? Like don't start there. Don't start with something bigger than you can, you can um, take, right? If you've never fasted before, try to fast a meal or two. If you have never fasted before, do a fast where you just drink liquids through the day. Or uh, just give up um, meat and sugar or just eat raw vegetables or do something like that. Like abstain from certain things for a time, but start somewhere. Don't let a fear of this keep you from doing it. Letter D, when we practice this, it is important to plan for when and how you will do it. Set regular days or times that you will set before you to walk in a rhythm of fasting. If it's not something you plan to do, you will likely never do it. Let me just say it even stronger. If you don't plan to do it, you won't do it, right? Like the disciplines of, the, of, of walking before the Lord are not things that we just like stumble into. I, I, I love to say this kind of stuff. Like you don't ever just find yourself fasting, right? Similar to like working out. You don't just like find yourself working out, right? Like you find yourself at the bottom of a carton of ice cream. <laughs> you find yourself in the places that we like are detrimental to your health or your spiritual health, right? You never just find yourself like, man, I, I, I was like kind of lonely and I didn't know what was going on and I was angry and like all of a sudden here I am, I've been running for 10 miles. Like nobody finds themselves doing that. If we aren't putting this into planned, how am I going to do this? When am I going to do this? It's likely not happening, right? So take some time. Go, I'm going to do this somewhat regularly. Here's, here's a couple options for you. Um, every first 
Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of the month, which I'm only giving you uh, a, a short window here because it starts tomorrow. Our elders fast together. You could jump in with us. So every time a month, the, the, the first Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday of that month, we fast together. Pick a day of the week and go, I'm going to fast on Mondays or I'm going to fast on Wednesdays. I'm going to uh, do it in this way and then plan how you're going to do it. Uh, put it before you in a plan it, planned way. Uh, letter E. When we fast, we need to be aware of practicing our fasting with a wrong spirit. Jesus outlines that we can be tempted to use this as a means to garner favor and boast in our religious accomplishments, but we can also fast to attempt to approve God's approval or uh, to earn God's approval or his favor. We must consistently be on guard against practicing the spiritual disciplines with the wrong spirit. However, letter F, on the opposite side, if you find that you are fasting in a wrong spirit, the answer is not to stop doing it. The answer is to stop doing it in a wrong spirit. Repent for the wrong spirit and do it again. This would be like if you found that you were reading your Bible to earn God's favor, like you had like a religious spirit about it and you're like, man, I want God to like me more so I'm gonna read more of my Bible. If you discerned that, the answer is not to stop reading your Bible. I just need a season away from that because I was doing that with a wrong spirit. That's not the answer. And if somebody tells you that's the answer, do not listen to them. The answer is repent for the wrong spirit. Continue the practice. Do it under the eyes of God. Renew your heart and your mind before him and ask him to renew your heart and mind in his grace. Don't stop doing it, right? So if you find your fasting with the wrong spirit, don't put it on the shelf for five years and go, man, I was doing that in the wrong spirit. I don't want to like try to earn God's favor or do anything like that. I'm just going to put it over here to the side. Just repent of the wrong spirit and then fast the next day. Do it the next day. All right, I have a few more that you can read on your own about doing this in community. And I, I just want to say letter H. Know that it is going to be hard. Okay, on the front end, just settle it. This isn't awesome. I don't like doing this. It's not a lot of fun. Painful graces are not fun. They, they are difficult. It rarely feels good. We rarely see rewards from the hands of the Father in the midst of it. A lot of people draw back and stop because they didn't want to be insincere when it felt difficult, right? Like, I wanted to do this on Monday when I was eating. I started Tuesday, and now in the middle, I don't want to do it anymore, and I don't want to be a pretend before God, so I'll just eat. It's like, no, you're not going to want to do it. That's where we use our will to deny ourselves and ask God for more of his grace. Don't draw back because it's difficult. Okay, letter I, last thing. When you break your fast, and I said when you break your fast, just like Jesus said, when you fast, when you break your fasts, because you will. If you do this regularly, you're going to fast for a day, and at like 11.30, you're going to think you're dying, and... Uh, you're gonna, and you're going to show up and your favorite food is going to be on the work lunch table. It always happens that way. Every, somebody said every time. <laughs> it's true. Um, and so when you break your fast, run right into the arms of God and delight in your free acceptance before him and set yourself to do it again. Don't disqualify yourself from God's grace because you were weak or you broke your fast. You're not accepted by God on the basis of your fasting, but the basis of Christ's righteousness freely given to you in faith. You aren't accepted before God because of this. this. This, again, is a gift given to us to position ourselves to more readily experience what God has given to us. But this is not the way that you are accepted to God. And I want to make sure we hear and know that as a people. So when you are weak in this, or you stumble in this, or you feel like, man, I'm just really terrible at this, in that place, run into God's arms and receive his delight. Receive his delight 
on the merit of Jesus Christ, on the gift of God made known to you because of Christ in his life, death, and resurrection. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and we'll respond together this morning. We're going to respond as we do every week by singing together. We'll come to the communion table and celebrate uh, the gift of God made known in Christ Jesus by coming to the table and remembering his death, his broken body and his shed blood. And we'll also respond if you're in the room and you want prayer for anything. We have ministers throughout the, the sanctuary that would love to pray for you. If there's something stirring in your soul and you're wanting uh, more of the grace of God uh, in your life, you need healing in your body, you want to respond to him in a particular way, we have people that would love to stand with you and pray for you and pray with you there. But on the night he was betrayed, Jesus took a loaf of bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Take and eat of this. In the same manner, he took a cup of wine and he gave thanks for it and passed it around. And he said, this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Take and drink. And if you're putting your hope in Jesus and in Jesus alone this morning, we want to invite you to come and celebrate uh, his broken body, his shed blood together. Uh, the way we do that at Redeemer is you tear a piece of the bread off and dip it in the cup. We have wine in the stoneware and juice in the glassware. We'll have servers up front in the middle and in the balcony and uh, a gluten-free station to my right, to your left. If you're in the room and you don't believe in Jesus, you're not putting your faith in him this morning, we're really glad you're here with us. Uh, we, we, we'd ask that you not feel the pressure to come and take this meal. This meal is a signifier of a reality, of putting your faith in Jesus and Jesus alone. This, this meal doesn't afford you right standing before God. It doesn't earn you his favor. Uh, we, we, we would invite you to stay where you're at in your seat. Pray to God. Ask him to reveal himself to you. Put your faith in Christ this morning if you're hearing his voice and he's, he's leading you to himself. But don't feel the pressure to come and take of, of, of the elements with us this morning. I'm going to pray for us. Servers, you're wel welcome to come forward now. And then we'll respond in these ways. So Father, this morning I ask as we come to the table, would you delight us and nourish us with, your, with yourself? God, would you feed us by faith as we come and receive afresh this morning? Would you remind us of your broken body, your shed blood? Would you remind us of the gift of life that you've given to us in Christ? Would you remind us of the, the fullness of life that you have brought us into and, and, and made a way for us to experience? Lord, would we delight in and remember the, the glory of what it means to be in fellowship with you? Would you give us a vision for your fullness at work in us? God, would you come and move among us? Would you minister to us and stir up our hearts to long for you and know you more and experience your power here in this place, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.